Amen. Let's take our Bibles again this morning and turn to Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter 19. Would you join me in a, a word of prayer over the Word? Our Father, we do come to you again, and we thank you for this wonderful music. We thank you for the opportunity to be with brothers and sisters and people that have gathered together on the Lord's Day to worship you. And um, I pray that you would receive that, Lord, in our stumbling, stammering fashion. The very best that we have, we offer to you. And we pray that you'd be pleased with our worship. And now, Lord, we've come to this opportunity to open up your word uh, that's been written for us. And uh, we believe that it, is, uh, that it is powerful. And when we place it into our lives and we begin to live it, Lord, that it changes us to be more like your son, Jesus. And so we cry out as the song, Lord, uh, Hosanna in the highest. Pray alongside my brothers and sisters in this room that uh, in, the, in the corners of our life, that you would save us. And I pray for those who are lost that they would um, find Jesus to be satisfied. And I pray for help. Amen. <laughs> this is Palm Sunday. This is the day the Lord Jesus came to Jerusalem for the last time in his earthly ministry. And uh, just listening to that last song, I thank you very much. And uh, I hope that, that our hearts would be like the people in this passage. But I pray that our hearts would go beyond where they were because in a few days, the same people who are crying, Hosanna in the highest and blessed is the is the king who brings peace. These, these same people, they, uh, they end up casting insults and curses toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, when, uh, when it comes down to it, they, they would rather have a, a murderer and a robber like Barabbas be released to them and have the prince of life, Jesus, die on the cross. And uh, my first... My first thought is to get angry at them and say, don't you know, this is Jesus and how good He is and He's the, you know, he's the one that brings life. But the truth of the matter is, 
Uh, many times in my own life, I find myself in the same place as these people that I would rather have things in my own way than in the way of Christ. And what God wants is not what I want. And things in my heart aren't right. And so I find that although I'm not casting the same insults, I feel the same in my own soul at times. And so I pray today that the Lord would help us to have a vision and think of Christ coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And really, uh, there are three little parts of the text that I just want to draw out for you, two of which happen on Sunday and one of which happens tomorrow on Monday. And so let me just see if I can um, make these points for you today. From verse uh, 28 down to verse number 40, you find that this is the triumphal entry of Jesus, that he comes into Jerusalem here, and he's riding on the colt or the donkey, and uh, this is a fulfillment of Zechariah's passage. And then when he comes riding into the city there on the donkey, you find that in verse 41 to verse number 44, he is weeping over Jerusalem. He is crying for them, and then he tells them truth. And then the third point is from verse 45 to verse number 48. You find that on the next day, Jesus enters into the temple and he makes a whip and he's driving out these materialistic money changers from the temple, uh, mainly the court of the Gentiles there. And he's saying, you have made my house a place of uh, a den of robbers and thieves, but uh, really it should be a house of prayer for all people. And so let me see if I can just uh, maybe give us three points today when we begin to think about Jesus uh, see there in your uh, bulletin, I, I kind of titled this today, The Unexpected Jesus. Uh, I, I, started to, I started to put this title in there, but I thought it would be too long. And uh, what, what do you do when Jesus doesn't meet your expectations? Uh, that that kind of thinking is a little foreign for us today because we always want Jesus to meet our expectations. But the truth of the matter is that when it comes to Christ and the Scripture, God is not so much interested in meeting your expectations as He is bringing you to a place of humility and where you trust Him and where rather than wanting your own will and your own way and you're wanting Jesus to fit into the busyness of your own life and be who you want Him to be, that when really when you call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, He comes crashing in upon the party of your life and everything must change. He must be the center of attention. He must be the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and the only proper response to the kind of Jesus that the Bible gives is one for all of us to bow down and say, you are worthy, you are honorable, and whatever you desire from my life, that's what I will give to you. And so here's the first thing we look in that first set of scriptures there, verse number 28 down through verse number 40. And when we think about Jesus, here's the first point I want to make to you. This reveals the character of Jesus Christ, that He is divinely humble. Jesus is divinely humble. Jesus said this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you want to know what the character and the nature and the power of God Almighty, you look to the text and it tells you about Jesus. And Jesus is divinely humble. Let me draw your attention, first of all, to verse number 30. He says, Go into the village ahead of you there as you enter, and you will find a colt on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. 
You see the sovereignty and the power of Jesus Christ that though He was genuinely human, He was also genuinely God. And He prophesies in this passage, He tells His disciples, go into that village and this is what you will find. And only Jesus can bring those kind of prophecies in and of Himself. And sure as the world, they go to the next village, they find it just like Jesus said. But notice quickly in the text, if you would, from verse number 30, not only does he say, go and this is what you'll find, but he says, you're going to find a cold on which nobody has ever sat. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how many of you in this room have ever tried to ride a horse that wasn't ever ridden before, much less a donkey that never had anybody sit on it. But when Jesus sits upon the donkey's back, the donkey behaves instantly. Why? Because even that dumb donkey knew that the parade wasn't for him, right? It was for Jesus. Look, if you would, at verse number 38. Look at what the people do. They're shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And then these yahoos, the Pharisees, what do they do? I say, teacher, rebuke your disciples, but look at verse number 40. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. He is divinely humble, but we must approach that issue of Him being divine, of Him being God, of Him being sovereign, that He is able to prophesy, He is able to fulfill the entire Old Testament, He is able to curtail the donkey, He is able to say to this group of people, if these people don't praise me and adore me, even the rocks of the world will cry out that He is Lord and He is King and He is worthy to be praised. God is divine and sovereign and all-powerful and He is in control of absolutely everything. Amen? But let me remind you about the character of Jesus. He is still in this passage, God on a donkey. He still comes down from heaven to ride into a city on a lowly animal. The Bible says in Philippians that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient even to the death of the cross. You want to know what God is like? Yes, he is divine and sovereign and powerful. He is worthy to be trusted in all things, but he is still the God that through all of that divinity comes down into this world and he becomes flesh and dwells among us. He takes upon us all of our uh, all of our pain, all of our frustration, all that it means to be human. Jesus comes into the world and these people, mind you, they are not expecting this kind of Messiah. Look back, if you will, at verse number 11 in this passage. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because He was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear when? Immediately. 
All of these people that are following Jesus, they are ready to get out underneath of this Roman rule. They want a powerful ruler to come, destroy all of the Roman Empire, set up the kingdom in that moment, and they could wash their hands of all their enemies. The Jews wanted a ruler immediately. Look at the end of the parable of verse number 27. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. It's the end of the parable that Jesus is telling and it walks right into this entrance into Jerusalem. And these people have heard Jesus tell a parable about a king who comes to rule and slays all of the enemy. And all of the Jewish crowd are saying, that's the Messiah we want. That's the one we want. He'll meet our expectations if He comes immediately and establishes His power now in our life. And Jesus comes to these people and says, no, not your expectations, but mine. Not on your timetable, on mine. I just want to maybe make a point here to all of us today. That Jesus does not always meet our expectations. But Jesus always meets the expectations of His Father. And Jesus always establishes His redemption and His grace and His mercy in His timing. And I just want you to maybe take your mind and your heart today and think about what's going on in your life and with your family and with your relationships and with your job and all of that stress and all of that anxiety and all of that fear and all of that frustration at trying to make God fit into the life that you want Him to be in, I want you to take a breath of fresh air and realize that God is not on your timetable and you cannot rush Him. And that whether Jesus comes when you want Him to or not, He is still the Lord and He is still merciful and He still saves. And if you're going to come to Jesus as a lost person or as a believer today, you don't come saying, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of this and I'll put Jesus in my back pocket and as long as He makes me happy and as long as He does what I want, then I'll put Him first. And when He doesn't, I'll say, see you later to the church, see you later to the Word, see you later to prayer. I'm going to do my own thing. And when I get down at the rock bottom of life, then I'll come back as long as He blesses me. Stop making Jesus meet your expectations and bring all of your expectations down to the altar of your life and lay them down and say, I am unworthy and I am a sinner and I have failed. And you have been good and you have been merciful and you have been kind and I will chant with these people, Save me now. Save me now. You alone are worthy. Blessed is the King. And He will bring peace into your heart and into your life. Are there rough roads to walk? Of course. But the roads to be walked are much tougher when you try and fit Jesus into the way that you think and into what you want Him to do. The roads become filled with grace and mercy when you lay your mind at His feet and say, I'll walk your way even when I can't see it.
Jesus does not always meet your expectations. But He's good. Amen? Let me make a second point to you from verse 41. If verse 28 to verse number 40 bring us God on a donkey, verse 41 to verse 44 bring us God with tears. Look at verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, if you had known in this day even the things which make for peace... You see the connection back with verse number 38? These people are calling Him that He is the one that brings peace, but ultimately in their heart, they weren't looking to Him. They wanted Him to meet the expectations of what they thought would bring peace. And Jesus says, I'm weeping over you because had you known what really brings peace, that is faith and commitment and trust and yieldedness to Me, then you would have had peace. But since you don't have peace... Destruction is coming. Look at verse 43. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will throw over the barricades against you and surround you and hem you up on every side and they will level you to the ground and even your children with you. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Here's the second point I want to make. The character of Jesus is that He is divinely humble but I would say secondly that Jesus is lovingly truthful. Jesus is lovingly truthful. Isn't that incredible? The, the irony and, and, and the humanity and the divinity that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. How He can come in verse number 41 and He's weeping. He's crying. He is broken hearted over the city. He wants them. In fact, He would say at another time, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together up under my wings? And these people that say, well, like they're, you know, they're like seven point Calvinists. They're the frozen chosen where you know, salvation isn't for anybody but only the set people, then how in the world do you get the words of Jesus? If that is absolutely true and the salvation call is not to whosoever believes, then what is Jesus doing? He is lying when He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together? But you would not believe. And He cries over the city. He loves the people of the town. And at the same time, He tells them truth. Because you've not trusted Me. Because you've not followed Me. Destruction is coming your way. Verse 43 and verse 44 are a prophecy again. Just like in the first set of Scriptures, He prophesied about the donkey that would be in the next town over. In this set of Scriptures, He's prophesying about what happens in 70 A.D. And you can go read it in your history books. Titus marches into Jerusalem and tears the entire city completely down, destroys the temple. And in fact, if you're ever wondering about like the, those texts in the New Testament that talk about the abomination of desolation or Gog and Magog and all of this is in the future. No, the abomination of desolation happened in A.D. 70. Titus walked into the temple and he had pigs basically had a big huge pork roast right there in the temple and that was the abomination of desolation because to the Jewish people it was absolutely a mar against the mark of God in his temple. Jesus is lovingly truthful. Does that mark your personality? 
I got a friend, you know what he says? He says, love without truth is liberalism. And truth without love is brutality. Do you have a heart and a brokenness over the lost people of our city? Do you have a kindness and a sweetness and a brokenness over your family, over your friends, over the people of this church that God would do amazing and wonderful works in their lives and help them? And are you the kind of person that brings truth into the lives of people even when it hurts? Jesus is lovingly truthful in this passage And I believe that we should be the same way in our own lives that we are to come to Him. And look back at verse number 42. It says, You did not know the things that make for peace. You know the background of this passage? Let me just give it to you. This happens. Jesus and His disciples are walking close to the temple, which for the Jews is this magnificent, wonderful structure. And in fact, he's walking with the disciples and they get there and all the disciples say to Jesus, hey, look at that marvelous building. Look at how awesome that building is. Isn't that outward, physical manifestation of goodness and joy? Isn't that that building that gives us meaning in life and purpose in life? Isn't that building that we put our thumbs in our suspenders and we say to every other city, look to us and look what we have and look what you don't have? Isn't that marvelous marker of institutional religion? Isn't it wonderful? You know what Jesus says to him? Tear down the building, and in three days I'll build it up again. And they are scandalized. Jesus, don't you know that it took 46 years to build that religious institution upon which I save face and gives me meaning in life? And Jesus was saying, you put all of your trust in some outward manifestation of religion. instead of putting your trust in me, who is the temple of the living God. And I will be buried, and three days later I will rise again. And the New Testament says that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. Once again, Jesus comes crashing in upon the party. If in the first section their expectation was the immediacy of the coming and you've got to be on our timetable and our way and you got to do it our way and Jesus comes in and says, whether it ever happens your way or not, I am the divinely humble King and this is the way that it will be. In this section, the expectation of the people is that Jesus would brag on and go into the temple and that it would be the greatest physical outward manifestation of religion. And Jesus says, don't hang your hat on buildings. Don't hang your religious hat on your heritage. Don't hang your religious hat on all of the things that make you feel valuable in this world. Because they will all be torn down and not a stone left. Bring your heart and life to me. And trust me. And I will build you from the inside out. And I will make a temple out of your life. You see, in AD 70, all of those Jews were weeping 
because the temple was torn down. The Apostle Paul reminds us in the New Testament that though the outer man is decaying and falling away, the inner man, which is the temple of the Spirit of God, is being built up. And as the church, we are being fitly joined together to be the beautiful temple of God for His Christ. That may not meet the expectations that you have of church and religion, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ's idea. I think we could take application in a thousand different directions, but I just want to say a couple here. There are many of us in this room who tend to trust what we can put our hands on, and we tend to find our value. I'm sorry if my voice isn't loud enough today. We tend to put our value in the money that's in our pocket, in the things that we have, and in who we know, and in our status, and in what people think about us. And if you live like that, and you live long enough, you'll come to the end one day and realize that all of that was for nothing. You know, I weep sometimes in my heart for our, for our youth here. Because I see these, and, and many of you that have lived long, life long enough, you see the movie stars, you see the uh, pop stars, you see all these people. And li listen, I was going to use an illustration dating me. Listen, I loved Michael Jackson. I grew up on Michael Jackson. I can still steam on the stage of the Apollo doing the moonwalk. And all of our youth, you're like, who, who is it Michael who, right? But at the time, he had everything. He was the richest man in the world, it seemed like. He had all these number one records. He was the greatest, and he's dead. And his life fell to shambles. And if you live long enough, the people that you think that are heroes right now, that you look to in your life, they will fall and fail. And unless you think in this room that money can get you out of everything or that money brings you the kind of joy, just look at the heroes of the world and how many relationships they go into and out of over and over and over again. And many of them end in suicide. Why? Because none of that brings peace. And you can build all of the temples of the world that you want, but if the temple in your heart isn't strong if God isn't the mortar in the bricks of your life, you will fail. Just hang around, it'll happen. Jesus may not meet your outward expectations, but Jesus will establish a life on the inside that can weather everything because He's in you. Amen? Jesus said in His simple words, it took me 20 minutes to say this, don't build your house on the sand. Build your house on the rock. Amen? Let me give you the last point. On Monday, Jesus goes into the temple, verse 45 to verse 48, and look, if, if in the first section, you know, you see God on a donkey, and in the second section, you see God in tears, well, then He's really going to mess you up in the way that you think about God. Because in verse 45 through verse 48, you see God with a whip in His hand. Jesus entered into the temple and began to drive out all of those who were selling, saying to them, it is written that my house should be called a house of prayer. And in the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they go ahead and, and put the full statement in here. My house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. 
And this is a direct reference right straight to Isaiah 56. But you have made it a den of robbers or a robber's den. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men of the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do for all the people were hanging on every word that Jesus said. Here's the third point. Jesus in His nature is divinely humble. Jesus is lovingly truthful. And Jesus is passionately devoted to the mission of God. Jesus is passionately devoted to the mission of God. You know what was going on? Let me, let me just stop and do a teaching for about two minutes, or I'll take 30 seconds here. I've seen people use this passage before about driving out the money changers, and they'd say, hey, whenever we have a concert in the church or whenever a visiting pastor comes, they should never sell their material in the church lobby. Kick them out with a whip. That is terrible interpretation of Scripture, Okay. If a brother or sister come here and they're doing something they want to offer and it's in a gracious, good way, there's nothing wrong with that in the world. It's not what's going on here. These Jews are in the temple and they're really in the court of the Gentiles and they are saying here to the Lord, uh, they're, they're driving out the Gentiles and they're cheating everybody. They're stealing. They're creating all these problems. They're taking the money from the Gentiles and Jesus comes on the scene and He says, Hey, listen. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. Here's another messed up uh, interpretation of Scripture. I've heard some people say, you see, the house of God should be a house of prayer. We ought to do more praying in the church. That is true as long as you get this in context. Do you know what the prayer is supposed to be for? Not for our aches, not for our pains, not for our struggles. If you go back to Isaiah, the prayer is for the nations to believe on the Messiah. So do you know what our church needs to do more of? We need to pray that God would save lost people. And we need to pray with tears. We need to pray with our hearts mended toward the Lord saying, God, save people and make us evangelists. And we need to pray that this would be a sanctuary for people to come and hear the gospel. Let me give you a little plug for next weekend. Go bring somebody to one of the services. Bring them to Friday night, the Good Friday service, or bring them Sunday and feed them in there for the brunch. Bring them in here. They'll hear the gospel of Jesus. We should pray for the nations, not just Raleigh, but all of the world that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. They say, what's the expectation here that Jesus busts up? Let me just give you this and we'll close her down. The people here, they had an expectation of no expectation. You see, they had been doing life and business and materialism in the temple for as long as they can remember. They knew that the Old Testament promised a Messiah, but eh, as long as it doesn't mess up my normal everyday life and the things that I want to do and what's important to me, if it, as long as Jesus doesn't mess up the status quo, then it's okay. That was their expectation of the Messiah. We want Him as long as He does what we want and as long as He doesn't mess up the little money scheme we got going in the temple. Now you know what the application is. Me and you and everybody else in this room. You really want Jesus and you want a relationship 
Man, you want to feel warm inside. You want God. You want, you want awesome services. You want to walk out of here on cloud nine every Sunday, and so do I. But you, that sin that you wake up tomorrow morning and the Spirit of God says, you know, you really shouldn't do that, you, you don't want to fight the battle with the Spirit to mortify and to cut off that sin of your life. You know that God's calling you to witness to your neighbor or to your friend or to share with somebody and you don't want the kind of Messiah that comes into your life and says, that's what you need to do. There might be somebody in this room that God has been turning and moving on your heart for a long time about going into gospel ministry, maybe being a missionary out of this church or going to preach or being involved in some sort of ministry somewhere and in your heart, you don't want the kind of Jesus that would demand that of you. Because it might mess up your money. It might mess up your house. It might mess up relationships and family. And, and I could go on and on, right? There might be a thousand things. You know, listen, God might be calling you to stop or start a multitude of things in your life. But you don't want Him if it means you have to change. That's where the rubber meets the road. This Messiah comes crashing into our life and says, hey, the most important thing is that the entire world hear about Jesus. What are you doing about it? Because if you really want me as your Messiah you have to realize that I am passionately devoted to carrying the gospel to the world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heads bowed and eyes are closed. In just a minute, we'll stand and sing a song together. And um, my deep prayers that the Lord might be working on your heart right now. I just want to tell you two things. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He died for you and He loves you. And if you'll give up your expectations and bow before Him and ask Him to be the King of your life, He will. And maybe for many of my brothers and sisters in here today, young and old and everybody in between, you've been living your religious life in a humdrum same way, week in and week out for a long time. And you can't remember the last time that you cried over your sins, that you cried over the lost, and that God changed you. I want to encourage you. Find those places and pray through them. And seek for the Lord's help today. He will help you. He will come to you. He will give you strength. But you've got to turn those over to Him.